My name is David Hopper, and I am one of the pastors here. That was Erin Lynn Scott on the video. I want to thank her for doing that. She's sort of launching our Fresh Start theme. And it's kind of cool when you can start a new year and have a fresh start in some way. And so we're doing a mini-series within a larger series. We're doing the entire book of Acts over a long period of time. But for the next four weeks from Acts 9 through 14th, we're calling this, these four uh, sermons are all part of a fresh start beginning for the new year. And the new year kind of allows for that. So you can look and take away all that was 2018 and put a little bow and put it away and then start a whole new year with 2019. We even put a theme, a theme verse together to launch this year. This is how it goes. Philippians 3.13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, that's 2018 and all of that, and straining toward what is ahead in 2019, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We also have these beautiful queen palms up here on stage. And over the next four weeks, they're going to magically grow bigger and bigger and bigger. I don't know how. Somehow being in here with the sun and water, they're going to grow. And all these areas in the front is going to be full of color. Um, we're planting in here to see some beauty each week grow. And here's the thing. You might forget everything I say in these messages, but if you see this plant, here's what I want the imagery to be in your head. If you plant something, say in the spring, in three to six months, something bigger, something beautiful will grow in that plant. I don't know how that works. However that works. It grows, right? Well, what we want to do is take January and plant something, some new habits, a fresh start in our life. And over the next three months, six months, for some of you, it might take a few years, but something beautiful is going to grow from the time that we put in these next four weeks. So you might forget everything else. Every time you see this magically grow each week, I want you to remember, oh yeah, that's if I plant now, if I take the time to put these habits in place now, something is going to grow in my life, something awesome in which God will do. So that's sort of this fresh start beginning we're doing. So let's start it like this. Everyone repeat after me. Change is possible. Here, let's say it together. Change is possible. Yes, it's a motivational speech. We're excited about the change of a new year. One more time. Change is possible. Now, when you look in the Bible, one of the best places, one of the best places to see dramatic change is this change from Saul to Paul in Acts chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles or your phone, open them up, open up your Bible app and go to Acts chapter 9. We'll spend the whole time there so you can just open up that one chapter. And we're going to read about Saul. Here's what it says as you're getting there. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Threats and murder. Catch this. Went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, the way are the ones that are now following Jesus Christ. They're called the way. Both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, 
you really got to grasp where Saul is in this story. So what happened is in the last chapter, uh, Pastor Matt did a great job of talking about Stephen. And then all the Jews in Jerusalem were throwing these stones at Stephen to try and kill him and do actually kill him. The Christians then run. They get out of Jerusalem and start spreading. And they go to Damascus. Now in Damascus, there's about 30 to 40 synagogues. The Jews and the Christians haven't separated at this point. It's why you see the missionaries, when they went into a town, where they go? They would go to a synagogue and they would preach about the way. This is Jesus Christ. They would do it in the middle of the synagogue. They're, they're still connected. They do separate soon after this point. But at this time, they're registered in the synagogues. So Saul is chasing them down, goes to the synagogue. All he has to do is look up records. All the names of people belonging to the synagogue are in there. So he can go in and say, all right, who is now teaching about this Jesus Christ following this way? And then he gets letters, he secures letters to basically hunt them down, and then he's supposed to bring them back to Jerusalem. But in 66 AD, we have record of 18,000 Christians being killed. So this is not just some small little thing. They are hunting them down to stop this new sect from growing. This is where Saul is. And you have to take all that in to understand that Saul doesn't even realize he needs a change. In fact, Saul is, I mean, the irony is he's doing this for God. In his mind, this is a new group that's not doing the right thing. For God, he is going to put a stop to it. He's a religious zealot for the Lord. It would be kind of like in our world today if a jihadist all of a sudden became one of our greatest Christian missionaries. That's how big this change would be from Saul to Paul. It's not a normal change that you see very often. So he, there's a chance, there's probably, I'm guessing there's people in this room that may be in a similar state of mind of, do I even really need to make a big change as we move forward? So here's how big the change is, how dramatic the change is for Saul. We see it in verse 3. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Let's talk about this light. The word used for light here is phos. Uh, you see it 68 times throughout the Bible, this word phos. In some parts, when they describe this light in the Bible, it's as bright as the sun. So imagine staring at the sun for a few minutes. It would be blinding, just as it's blinding Saul. In other parts of the Bible, it's described as being surrounded by angels. You can feel the presence of angels as this light is on you. In other parts, when it's described, it's described as the Shekinah glory, which is this divine presence within the light of the Lord himself. Now, not everyone needs this bright of light 
to make a change. And hopefully that's not you or I today needing this bright of light to start a new change in our life. But for Saul, Saul needs a light so bright that it would blind him and change his whole worldview. We all come into here today with some kind of background, some kind of story. We have a, we have kind of a my parents were this way, therefore I'm this way. I was taught this way, so that's why I say the things that I do. This is why I do the things I do. This, this is just the way I am because of these things that happen. Sometimes it's in marriage, you have challenges or whatever. Sometimes it's good stuff. But whatever your story is, your background, you bring that baggage, good baggage, bad baggage, you bring it into the story with you. And when you talk about making changes, all that baggage is part of what you're going to do moving forward. So for Saul, he comes in with a story. The story that Saul is facing is he is, he's got this fight going on between Hebrewism and Hellenists. Hellenism is, uh, Pastor Matthew talked about it a little bit last week, but we would have seen it a lot in the Bible as Pharisees versus Sadducees. There's this war going on, and the Hebrew... The Pharisees, it's the traditionalists. They're the ones that believe in God as the supernatural. Um, they, they have the rituals. The Sadducees are rising up, and they have a little bit different take. And a lot of Greek culture has mixed in with this new version of following God. So you have this, this new ideal, this culture and freedom and glorification of the human life. Whereas before it was more supernatural, you didn't think so much about you personally having a relationship. The Sadducees brought some of that in there. You see it go on, and there's this fight between the two that gets more and more intense throughout much of the Scripture. So when you're reading Scripture, you see these places. You see uh, Galilee. You see Samaria. You see, you see all these different things happening. But underneath it all is this war between the old and the new, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Hellenists versus the Hebrewism. It's a fight going on, and Saul's in the midst of the fight. Now Saul comes from the side of the Pharisees. His parents are both Hebrew blood pure, no mix. So he's a pure blood Hebrew, believing in the, the Pharisee way. He's the purebred ritualistic Pharisee. And so they're living in the land of Tarsus. His name is Saul of Tarsus from the tribe of Benjamin. He's got all this background. Now Tarsus, though, is in a Greek city. And in the Greek city is where this new rise is happening of culture and poetry and the Greek gods of this naturalism world. And so his parents send Saul to Jerusalem because they didn't want him to be surrounded by this culture. And they wanted him to be taught under the master of Gamaliel. And so now he's got this teacher, this master, making sure that he really knows the ways of the Pharisee. And then it goes into this realm of, all right, Saul is going to fight against anything that would stop the way of the Pharisees, the way that we have always known. And this new way that's rising up, he's going to put a stop to it. And this is the background Saul has as he's now chasing them down in Damascus, going after them. He's the kind of guy who would have said, back in my day, we used to all know what it was really to be a follower of God. None of these fancy lights and new worship songs. We don't need any of that. We want the old way. If any of that rings a bell. 
It's that thought of back when my parents, when they grew up, that's when people knew how to follow God. That's when people knew what it was to be a follower. That's, this is sort of the thought process he would be putting into all this war, this war that's going on. That's why when he gets to this point and this light so bright that it blinds him, when this happens, he needs that bright of a moment, that kind of put you on your knees, change your life moment, because all the background, all the baggage, everything that he knew, God had to stop him in his tracks and say, Saul, you think you're fighting for me, but you're actually fighting against me. It would have absolutely destroyed his entire worldview. It would have changed everything. So the question I present to you is, this light, how bright does it need to be in your life? What is the moment that God speaks to you and says, it's time to make a change. It's time for you to live for me, not against me. There is a few things in this message from Saul that really kind of shows us what it means to make a fresh start. The first thing that we see, and this is the part that's in your notes, you have to first believe that you're dead in your sins at all. And that may sound like review. A lot of you have kind of gone to this place where, okay, I understand I'm a sinner. No, you got to go even further than that because Saul is dealing with a self-righteous sin. Saul would be the type that if he was here with us today and you said, Saul, you need to understand you need a savior he would probably call you the devil, pick up a rock, and start throwing it at you. And, and I'm not even joking. That really is probably the response because we see that with Stephen in that whole message. Uh, he would be so against you even saying that he is not this incredible follower of God. Everything he knows, he follows God. So he has this self-righteous sort of faith that says, I don't need a savior I am doing everything right. I am following God the way I'm supposed to be following God. How can you tell me I need a Savior? So the first act of him is just realizing, oh, oh, I'm actually not fighting for God. I'm fighting against him. So there's this point where we have to say, okay, what is the sin? What is the sin that separates me from God? Which gets us to point two. You have to believe in a Savior that loves you in grace and mercy. Grace and mercy are keys to the faith, right? This is, again, probably a review for a lot of you. Grace is being forgiven from something, or actually, no, grace is getting something you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So Saul comes to the realization that his attacks against Christians is attack against God. For us, it's going to look a little different. When we're angry or we have hatred or we do something against someone else, we sort of think of it as a sin against that other person. And what God would say is, no, no, you're not sinning against them. You're sinning against me. Or if we are alone in a room at home, you have our computer, we're doing things we know we shouldn't do, whatever it is in your case of saying, it's just me, it's just something against myself. I know it's bad. I know it's hurting, but it's only hurting myself. And God would say, no. You're sinning against me. It's not about them. It's not about against you. You're sinning directly against me. You're fighting 
me. So we get to this point where we say, we have to believe that, oh, like Saul does, my sin is against God directly. My sin and my need for grace and mercy, those things are coming from God directly. And the third place we see Saul get to is believing when the miracle comes. Everyone will have this moment in which God shows up. He shows up to everyone. It's all different ways, all all different moments. Something just hits you, and you realize, okay, God is here. It's what you do in that moment that changes everything. For Saul, the reason we see him as a hero later, as Paul, as a writer of many of the books of the Bible, as words that we, you know, tattoo to our bodies, we're so impressed by the words Paul says. He becomes a hero because when God showed up, when the miracle happens, he sees it and responds to it. How we respond when God shows up is everything. It can absolutely be the change maker of our life and absolutely move us forward in where God has us. A lot of times I hear this argument about the guy on the island. What about the guy out on an island somewhere who has no shot of ever seeing a Bible and there's no missionary that ever comes to him and they're on this island? How are they supposed to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior when they don't even know about Jesus Christ? Lord and Savior. And I, I've, as a pastor, I've heard this argument a lot. It's been presented to me. And then somehow it's supposed to matter when it comes to your life, even though you have every opportunity to hear about the Bible. But it's always about the guy on the island. All right, what about that guy? And that breaks down the whole faith because if he doesn't have a shot, then how are we supposed to believe this is real? And what I usually say is I go, well, let's imagine, let's imagine God is this, uh, this stand here. And then you got the guy on the island is like this far away from God. Like God is so far away. What are the chances he's ever going to discover him? And then let's put you in the story because that's important. You're probably like right here in this story. And the way life works is at some point you have to decide when you have this miracle, this moment where God shows up, you have to decide what you're going to do with that. Some will choose to lean into it and go, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check this out. I'm going to get a little closer to God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and start a relationship. And there's these little tiny baby steps of just trying to get closer and closer to God. Of course, a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people, when they have the God moment, whatever that looked like for them, they start to move this way. And they're just like, I just, I don't know. It just seems a little far-fetched. Have you heard of the island? the island? And so they start to move this direction and moving away from God. Then you got the guy over here who's so far away that has no shot. And there'll be the moment of a shooting star. Just, I'm just, whatever this, by the way, this is a complete hopperism. This is not like some philosophy. So don't take this and start quoting it. Just tell me what I say. So they see like a shooting star in the sky. And all of a sudden the guy on the island's like, wow, that seems amazing. And I don't understand. I don't know what to do with that, but there's got to be more. There's got to be something more. Uh, There's got to be like a creator or a God or something. They don't even know how to describe it, but they shift this way. Or they, 
they could say, I'm going to start worshiping this piece of wood. This piece of wood must have made that happen, and so this is my new God. That does happen. I've read about it. And so they start worshiping a piece of wood. But most of the time, in my experience, they turn this way and go, there's got to be some kind of God. And they don't know how to describe it. They don't know what to name it. But they start worshiping that there's got to be a creator, and I'm going to follow it. And they're shifting this direction. Now here's the point. <laughs> Thank goodness there's a point, right? Everything I read in the Bible and every discussion I have with God, this conversation, it seems to be this is what he says. I'm going to give you exactly what you want. That really is the message throughout the Bible. If you want a relationship with me, you're going to get it. I'm going to have that with you, and it's going to be amazing, and we're going to get to know each other. If you don't want that, I'm going to allow that. You can have what you want. So if you want to move away and do your own free will of whatever it is that you want to do, I'm going to allow that, including when you die. And you're going to continue the direction that you've chosen, towards me or against me. And so I put that scenario into this guy over here. He may be this far away, but he's going to get what he wants. And if he wants to move this direction, even in death, he's going to move this direction. Now that is a hopperism. And again, it probably breaks down as you continue to analyze it. But the point is, we all face a moment in which God is real. It's what we do next with that miracle. You have a choice. How you respond to the miracle, how you respond to the God moment, the feeling inside, the thing that you read, the moment, the life-changing moment where you decide, all right, what am I going to do with this? Will I take this and make it a fresh start, a change, something new? Or am I going to go ahead and take baby steps the other direction? What you do in that moment changes everything. For Paul, I'm sorry, I knew I was going to do it at some point. For Saul, at this point, he decides to completely change his life. Look at verse 19. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, which is incredible by itself. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. Take everything in what I said of who Saul was, what he brought, what he was there to do. Not only is he with the disciples, now he's sharing in the synagogue where he got the letters. He's sharing about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's someone, when they heard the miracle, they decided to change. He writes in Philippians 3, 7 later, he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Think about what he lost, who he was. This is not a jump up and down with excitement moment. When that light hits, he doesn't eat or drink for three days. It's not a good moment. Now it is, but for him, he lost everything he knew. 
As a Pharisee, he lost his Jewish tradition, his Jewish heritage, his Hebrew birthright. He was a Roman citizen. He actually uses that later and when he gets into some hairy situations. He's, you know, I'm a Roman citizen. He pulls it out when he needs it later. But he had all of that, that Roman right, that Hebrew right, the Pharisee. He had the supernaturalism. He had it all, and he was fighting for God, and he had to give all of it up to say, Jesus Christ is now Lord and Savior of my life. And within three days, shift and make a complete fresh start with God. Now, what he gained? Jesus Christ, birth, resurrection. He, he gained a new life of grace and mercy instead of following the law. He gains a ton. It's all better, but it's not easy. And that's the key. Yeah, we talk about God, we talk about the Bible, we talk about these fresh start changes and how awesome they are. They're not easy. It's dramatic. And for Saul, he had to give up everything to move forward with what God had for him next. So what is it for you? In your bulletin, there's this fresh start card. Will you pull it out? <coughs> Uh, flip it over, and so on the back, we help you out with the events coming up, some ways we want you to connect, uh, lunch next week, connect with friends if you're new, connect the Team Connections Fair in a couple weeks, that's about jumping into different service projects and stuff, it's all cool stuff. On the right, this part here is a tear-off, and what I want you to do is take a 21-day challenge to make a fresh start. 21 days is sort of the habit-building time. We hope, obviously, you would do it longer than that. But if you do it for 21 days, you create a habit in your life. So over the next 21 days, here's some fresh start challenges. And then what's cool is 21 days happens to be Sunday the 27th. On that day, you bring it back, your card filled out, and next to each one of these it says done, you put a date. So whenever you brought a friend to church, you can mark done, you know, and what date that was. Join a life group, done, date. Inviting your neighbors over for dinner. Not an easy one, but figure it out. Figure out a way to do it. How can you begin to connect with your neighbors? Not saying you have to, like, make them all follow Jesus on day one. No, how about you just invite them over for dinner, all right? Let's chill out a little bit. Attending church, serving, praying, raising your level of giving. What we want to see is... All of you bring back your card with dates on every one of these because you took the challenge seriously. At the end of most services, I do some kind of like come to Jesus moment and every head bowed, every eye closed, but I'm not gonna do that today because no one is off the hook today. You're all need to accept this. You have to do it. No passes. And what we wanna see is you bring it back and then the following week, February 3rd, we're gonna put up a whole thing up here that says 250 people invited someone to church this last week, or not last week, this last month, this last 21 days, and 360 joined a life group. I don't know, whatever the numbers are, we're gonna put all those numbers up there and we're gonna celebrate together on February 3rd, everyone that took the 21 day challenge. So I want you to pray over this right now. Some of these you already do, so you're like, oh, no problem, I can put down a date. Others, I know it's a challenge. Lift that up to God and say, God, I'm going to have trouble with this one. I haven't 
I don't even know my neighbor's names. I don't even know where they live. Whatever the one is a challenge for you, begin to pray over it and give that up to God right now. And I'm so serious about this that I actually ask all my elders and the prayer team and the staff um, to be ready today to pray over everyone. So you guys can come forward. And the elders are going to stand up here. The staff's going to stand up here. And the prayer warriors, anyone that's on the prayer team, they're all going to stand up here. And before you leave today, I want each of you to pray with one of these men or women about whichever one of these is challenging for you. I understand it's a challenge, but God's bigger. If God can change Saul, which is an utter miracle, when you actually know the history of that story, it's beyond belief. But he did it. And Paul becomes an incredible hero. We're going to talk about him next week too. If he can do it for Saul, he can do this. So everyone stand. The band's going to sing about two more songs. So you have some time. Come up with your family. Decide, maybe brainstorm together how you're going to do some of these. But I want you to, before you leave, no one's off the hook, go to one of these people and say, all right, I might have trouble with this one. Can you pray over us? and get prayer. Or if you're great, you're like, I, I got it, I'm going to do it. Still come up and pray with someone. It'll help everybody. All right?